Today is Wednesday, May 15th. This is Perspective from Politics NC. I'm Kirk here in Raleigh. Uh, Thomas is on. I'm good. How are you? From Carborough. Thomas, how are you? I'm all right. Um, so the biggest thing that happened this week, yesterday, the 9th District uh, out west a little bit near Charlotte, down to Fayetteville, that district had their redo in the Republican primary. And Dan Bishop, who is a state senator from that area over near Charlotte, uh, he he pulled out a pretty impressive win, actually. I know the some of the last polling numbers had him around 30%. Uh, you might know the final number better, but last I was looking, I think he reached the 40s. Do, do you know what he? Ended um, with? I, I'm not sure where he ended up. Last time I saw it was 47 percent. Yeah, there, it was a lot higher than uh, I think some people might have anticipated at first. He only needed 30 percent to avoid a runoff, but uh, I don't think he had any problem getting that. And uh, he had got that Ted Cruz endorsement right before the election too. So I'm sure that didn't hurt in that district, I think went plus 12 to Trump in the last election or in 2016 rather. So, uh, Dan Bishop will face the other Dan, uh, Dan McCready. And he's already got an ad up, uh, talking about how Dan, Dan Bishop calls himself the right Dan and uh, Dan McCready's the wrong Dan. So Dan Bishop is also the, the architect of HB two, which was, uh, obviously very controversial. So what are your thoughts maybe on the results of this election uh, with Dan Bishop winning and then how this race is going to uh, shake out over the next few months? I think the general is September 10th, which coincides with Charlotte municipal primaries. Yeah, I think um, I was from watching from a distance what was going on. It looked like Dan Bishop really had a had a train running through there. He, he uh he had polling data showing him over that 30% threshold a few weeks ago. It's really hard to pro, uh, poll primaries, especially really low turnout ones. So I wasn't sure about that. But at the same time, you looked at the early vote numbers, and I think a plurality of them came out of his, his state Senate district. So you had to think that most of those people were voting for him. Um it really gets down to a name recognition thing. I think he raised the largest amount of money. He had a, you know, he had an organization behind him. He had name recognition, and uh, you know, he 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 took it home. So now it sets up the uh, general election with Dan McCready. And my take on it is Bishop's probably as good as Dan could have hoped for. Uh, you know, there was a woman that the realtors came in and put $1.3 million behind uh, Lee Brown. And I think she came in third or fourth um, behind uh, Stoney Rushing, the, the boss hog wannabe out of Union County. And I, I don't know if she passed Matthew right now or in the end or not, but Anyhow, I don't think McCready wanted to run against a woman, and I don't think she wanted to, he wanted to run against Ridenhauer. Ridenhauer is always a moderate uh, Mecklenburg County Commissioner. He was a Iraq War vet, just like McCready. Those both those kind of matched up good. Bishop's a lot like Harris. You know, he's a very strong social conservative. Um, today, I saw he doesn't want to talk about HB two. You know, it costs the state a whole lot of money. It cost them a, a lot in their reputation. It was a bad bill. 
it was it was designed to score political points and it backfired grandly on the Republicans and it was his bill. So he doesn't want to talk about that. He doesn't want to talk about the fact that he was an early funder of I think it was Gab, the right wing um the the, yeah. the white supremacist website that, that basically tried to become the white supremacist version of Twitter. And he was an early funder of those guys. So uh, he's got a lot of baggage. And, you know, he's, he's been he, he's taking pride and taking uh, controversial stands in the legislature. Well, that, that can come back to bite you when you try to get outside of your safe, safe gerrymandered district. Not that this one's not gerrymandered, too, but he's still going to have to uh, reach out and introduce himself to a lot of new voters. And I'm sure the Democratic Party and Dan McCready are going to try to define him pretty well in the minds of the moderates in that district of who he is. So in that sense, I think McCready's drawn who he wants. Um, McCready's problem is, is what, he ha- what he's had all along. He- he's running in a conservative district that leans Republican. Now, I've always said he's a good match. He's as good a fit for that district as you can get. He's got a military background when part of the district encompasses Fort Bragg, um, or at least the outskirts of Fort Bragg, down around Fayetteville. Um, He's he's always had a, he's he's a man of faith. He was baptized in Iraq and uh, from, and from water, water from the Euphrates, he says, and in and, and a district like that, that goes a long way. Um, he really fits the area in Southeast Charlotte where he grew up. He's a tech entrepreneur. I mean, a, a solar entrepreneur. Um, graduated from Duke and Harvard, and he looks a lot like those business-friendly conservatives in Southeast Charlotte. And a lot of those people don't take as well to the more social conservatives that Dan Bishop is. So it's, you know, it's an interesting matchup. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Well, one thing I've noticed, and this is something Dan Bishop has done uh, as long as he's been running in this primary, a big, a big dart he throws at McCready is the fact that, um, McCready seems a little hesitant to take strong positions on things. Obviously, he's trying to run down the middle in a district like that. It's the only way he can really win. And uh, Dan Bishop's already got an ad up on TV with him uh, as a cardboard cutout, which he actually, Dan Bishop held a press conference uh, 30 minutes before Dan McCready's press conference, and he, and he brought this cardboard cutout of Dan McCready in front of his headquarters, which was uh, definitely interesting uh, to see the reporters talking about that. But what do you think... For someone like Dan Bishop, who has very, I think, clear-cut positions on a lot of issues, when you have Dan McCready, who's been running in this race forever since you know last year when the election didn't uh, come to a conclusion after the ballot fraud, do you think it's hard for a Dan McCready to sort of keep his positions? I don't want to say vague, but you know, not firm, um, as opposed to what a Dan Bishop might have. Or do you think the race will come down to just? people voting um, for someone that's uh, maybe less ideological. I mean, do you think Dan McCready's strategy so far is is going to pay off of being sort of playing up that middle of the road, but not taking super firm positions on things? Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I've, I've never thought people got elected on, on um, 
positions as much as as other factors. You know, I, I think if Dan if Dan McCready comes across as 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 likable and approachable and and reasonable, and with you know, uh, uh, common sense and and ability to reach across the aisle, um, people are going to put more stock into that than they are on any specific positions he takes. And uh, you know, Bishop's going to get beat up on positions he's taken. That that is fair, and he's he certainly has a long. Uh history of votes that will be scrutinized uh this is this is forecasting a little bit but uh, do you think this election uh, money wise will rival any other house races like the connor lamb i know and the john ossoff those type of races that are in odd periods and they seem to everybody f- focuses on it because it's the only big race happening do you think this will be one of the most expensive races I think it'll be the most expensive race of the year. Last night I, I saw, um, uh, one, I think it was the Hill, one of the national websites calling it the most competitive special election of the year. So, you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see how many people get in. I just can't imagine it. If, they, if Democrats feel like they have a shot at winning that race, I can't imagine it not having all the money that, that – uh, people can muster to get into it and on the same side same on the republican side they're gonna people are gonna flock in here and they're gonna spend a ton of money on it so yeah i think uh i'm glad i don't want live in the charlotte media market this summer yeah, yeah sure so uh well on the other side of the state a little bit uh, i think it's going to take a back seat to the ninth district because the ninth has just been mired in controversy and it's uh, seemingly far more competitive but with the third district, do you think that race will be competitive competitive at all once the uh, Republican primary shakes out? You know, I mean, that's a hard district for a Democrat, but I'm telling you, Alan Thomas is about as good a candidate as you can get down there. I mean, he really fits the district. He's got his family's got a long history of, of being involved in politics and, and business down there. Uh, he grew up in the southern part of the district, his, where his, his brother's a DA down in, in uh, there are three counties. I think it's it's Carteret, uh, Pamlico, and Craven. He, he represents those districts. His dad was a state senator down there. You know, Allen represented Greenville as mayor. He lives in Kinston, where he's run the Global Trans Park, and, and everybody I've talked to says it gives him high marks. So... If a Democrat can make that district competitive, it's Alan Thomas. And, um, you know, we'll see. We, we're, we live in a hyper-partisan age. I'll, I'll say this. 20 years ago, Alan Thomas would be, in a, at least, if not a front-runner, he would, he would be, you know, it'd be a highly competitive race. It's just we've become such a partisan nation. If the Republicans vote Republican, Democrats vote Democrat, it's hard for him to win. Because Garland Tucker was vocally opposed to the president prior to his election, he's been attacked for that by Tillis and the NRSC. But do you think that will play very much in this primary, given how many prominent Republicans were opposed to the president before he was elected? I'm thinking like Lindsey Graham was on TV all the time, and now he's the biggest Trump fan. I, You know, I, I tell you, people, the, the Republican Party is now the party of Trump. So if they can tag him as anti-Trump, um, that's going to hurt him. That said, you know, he may be able to go back and tag Tillis as being anti-Trump. Um, 
or or he can certainly tag him as being um, going, you know, going whichever way the wind blows. Um, he he, uh, Tillis wrote that op-ed saying he was going to oppose the president and turn around and support the president. Now, which, which do you like? A guy who has no morals or, or positions, or do you like the guy who was against your guy and now is for your guys? They're, they're both kind of flip-floppers, so it, it, it could end up being a wash. Um, that said, the primary can't be good for Tillis. There's nothing good that can come out of the primary for Tillis. Clearly, Tucker's got money, and clearly he's going he's gonna to go after Tillis on it. So Tillis is either going to spend all his money trying to fend off the primary or, or potentially get beat. Um, and, and we'll see how good Tucker's people are. Uh, they got to get out and define Tillis early, and they need to define him as not a real conservative, and try to tap into, you know, um, the 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 whole conservative base, the the true believers, and try to get them them around him. I think that's hard to do running against an incumbent, but Republicans lost uh, several incumbents to Tea Party challengers back in 2010 and 2012. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, it's it's not a good it's it's not a good place for Tillis to be. And now, it, you know, rumor has it that um, uh, Janet Cowell, former treasurer, is going to get into the race. If that's true, I mean, she'll have some sort of primary too. But um, they both if they both start the general election and and after the March primary. Basically, at at an equal place money wise, then the race is on, and um, you know it's it's a it's a tough place for Tillis to have a primary like that. Uh, well, there's another part of the Garland Tucker story I was interested in, and I know you would have something uh, to say about this issue. Back when Thomas Farr was being considered. Uh, I believe Tom Tillis voted against him or was uh, hesitant to vote for him. And Garland Tucker lit into him over that in a piece that I think in the North State Journal here in the States. So do you think on uh, issues like that, where maybe Garland can say, look, you know, Tillis has on plenty of occasions voted against what the president wanted. Um, do you think that would play well? And then also... Um, what what is it about Thomas Farr that makes him so divisive? But also, where conservatives really seem to support him uh, more than you might think for some other judicial nomination. What's what's special about Thomas Farr in that sense? Um, you know, I I I don't know. If, I don't know that there's that much special about Thomas Farr. I, I don't. I mean, look, he's he's a he's a conservative jurist that. Uh, Republicans have liked his big problem is is he was part of the Jesse Helms machine, and he took part in some of the voter suppression that was going on in the in the late eighties and nineties, and he's pretty much you know he's been tagged with that. It's hard to it's hard to um, deny that he was part of it. And and Tim Scott, the uh, uh, black state senator from South Carolina, was the one who killed his nomination. Um, 
I don't I don't remember the whole controversy with Tillis, uh, but any time that you're voting against somebody who's considered or, or considering voting against somebody who's considered a Republican or conservative jurist, you're going to catch flack from them. But I, I don't think that'll be a big issue. Um, it's just it's just one more. It's they're going to try to paint a picture of Tom Tillis as not being a real conservative, not having solid principles, and that's just one nail in it. You know, the the other one they'll use the op-ed, they'll use the 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 vote, the Thomas Farr thing. They're ju- they're just trying to build a record of this guy's not really conservative. This guy's just a, um, you know, just an opportunist, and that's and that's what they're going to try to paint him out to be. So, so yeah. Uh, well, switching gears uh, finally to the presidential race. I know for the past few weeks, it's all been about Joe Biden since he jumped in and he's really seemed to um, fortify his lead in pretty much every poll I've seen. And a lot of places he's doing particularly well, like in South Carolina, I think he's doing better than Bernie Sanders in New Hampshire. So any thoughts on Joe Biden, if you think he might continue his place at the top? I know it's a very long time. And then are there any other candidates in particular that stick out to you right now? Well, I think the Biden's still the, the candidate to chase. And, um, you know, my I was interested to watch how uh, Elizabeth Warren seems to have really kind of found her voice and, and, and is doing a lot more. For a while, she was just rolling out new, you know, rolling out a program. And I mean, it was, you know, almost a joke. You know, we got a plan for that. And, uh, she just had policy proposal, policy proposal. Every time she'd roll out a new policy, a lot of eyes would roll too. And I don't think people get elected on policy. That said, I think possibly what we saw is a strategy of her trying to woo some of these Bernie voters to, to, to get her credentials, say, hey, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm a true progressive. Here my policies are. Since then, really since Biden got in the race, she's been much more direct in going after the president. They're starting to put out videos of her. I saw one, I think it was yesterday or this morning, of her talking about her background, which is which is what I kind of thought she needed to be doing all along. Um, but she she talked about she her family didn't have enough money to go to college, so she got a scholarship. She dropped out when she got married at 19. She ended up going back and ended up at Harvard. But, but uh, you know, that's a personal story. That's something that people can relate to, and it's not policy-driven. And then um, I thought it was really funny, you know, a few weeks ago, Bernie Sanders uh, kind of shook the world a little bit when he went on a Fox Town Hall event. And everybody, immediately, you saw a line of all the Democratic candidates lining up to go have a Fox Town Hall because Bernie got such great reviews about doing a Fox Town Hall. So when they asked Elizabeth Warren yesterday um, if she wanted to go on a Fox, have a Fox Town Hall, she goes, I'm not going on that, uh, I'm not going on a program that, a uh, uh, network that, uh, she called it a hate-for-profit network. She says, I'm not going to do anything to boost their ratings. No, I'm not going on there. And I think the base loved it. They loved it. And uh, 
you know, and then all of a sudden all this stuff starts coming out. It's like, well, when you're going on Fox News, you're not even talking to the Democratic, uh, the, you're not talking to Democratic voters. So, you know, the only way you're getting Democratic voters is that if, if you're dragging them to go turn on Fox and help, help boost Fox News' rate, ratings by adding voters who don't watch it. So anyhow, it was. I thought it was very smart the way she handled it. You know, she's she has pounded Trump over and over again, and you know, I think she's kind of got better footing than any other candidate besides Biden right now. Well, and I know she has been rolling out some interesting proposals, and and she does seem like a top tier candidate. But I just I just wonder with so many people in the race. If if some of these campaigns will even last long enough to when it gets down between a few choices, you know what I mean? Like like Kirsten Gillibrand, I don't know how seriously people took her campaign when she launched it, but uh, she barely pulls above one or two percent. Same with, you know, Beto had a huge uh, boost when he launched and it's been downhill from there. So it seems like it's just joe biden and everybody else right now and that's 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 how it feels yep yep um so do you think after like at, at what point next year after the primaries start do you think the field will really narrow down do you right, the, the, the field will there, there are a whole bunch of campaigns that'll never make it to the primaries i i, I mean I, I would be surprised if 10 campaigns are running in in january of next year um, a lot of these, I mean, it takes a lot of money to run these races and you know, what's going to happen is, is about, we're going to have this, when is the debate sometime in June, this first debate, yeah, I'm going to say the first one's next month. Yeah. And, and so after that, you're going to lose a few, um, and then they'll just keep whittling down. They just won't have, they don't, they will not have the money to continue. And, uh, I think you'll see going into Iowa, you'll you'll see, you know, um, eight or ten campaigns. By the time we get through South Carolina, it'll probably be four candidates or so, three or four candidates, um, maybe five. But you're not going to have 20 candidates running in Iowa. You're, it's going to start whittling down long before that, and, and it'll, it'll whittle down real fast after that. Um, and look. There's there's the possibility if Biden can I don't believe Biden can maintain what he's got right now for for the next nine months or whatever it is. Uh, you know, I, I, I think he's going to you, you're going to see you're going to see somebody rise. The press is going to turn on him. He's going to have some bad weeks, you know, and, and his numbers are going to go down. Now, he may end up the nominee, but uh I don't, I mean, there's, there, there's speculation among some people that he's just about to close the deal and, and, and just power through. And it's going to be, like you said, it's going to be Biden and everybody else. And, if, and look, if he goes in there and he ends up winning Iowa, New Hampshire and South Carolina probably is game over, but, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I think that's, I don't, I don't think that'll happen. I think you'll, you'll see an anti Biden candidate might be Elizabeth Warren show up. Could be I, no. Harris, you know. Yeah, some of those. Um, I'm not sure if all of them, but I know there are a number of the primaries are winner take all. So then it really doesn't even matter how well you do unless you win. 
So right. I know if, you're, if you're riding momentum after those first few primaries, it's hard to catch up. Yeah. Um, and I know they've changed the rules at the convention as well, the change around how superdelegates work. And I heard, I think on maybe commentary, they were talking about how it might backfire on the progressives because I, I could be misspeaking, but after the first vote, if nobody gets enough delegates, then I think in the second round is when the superdelegates come into play. And if that's the case, then you would you would think that that would really help an establishment type candidate like a Joe Biden if if there's no apparent winner after the first vote. But um, yeah. that's a ways off. Yeah, it is. Plenty of, plenty of debates to sift through and candidates that probably shouldn't have been running in the first place. But um, I think that should about do it. I think next week, I'm sure we'll have something else pop up in the news to talk about. Okay, I'm sure we will. Well, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Perspective from Politics NC. Visit our website, politicsnc.com, to read articles daily. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter where we post those articles and this podcast so you can keep up to date on new episodes and new content from the website. Feel free to subscribe wherever you're listening now, and we will send you a new episode next week.